Let's all join together and pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock, you are our redeemer. Amen. Have we gotten bored with saving people's lives? I had to think about it this week as we listened and sirens went past this street and went past our house. And the thought that popped into my head was, that's pretty loud. I know people move out of their way so they can get where they're going. But that was about it. Really, it's been since Trace went to the hospital for emergency stuff going on. That was the last time that I really thought about what happens at hospitals. That literally, every day there are people who go in and they are dying and they are going to die and then they come out on the other side, not on the path to death literal from death to life and that happens every single day almost all the time probably even right now at nighttime as our house starts to shake and rumble because the ospreys and their flight path goes directly over our house the thought that goes into my head is why is our house in the flight path why are these things having to fly over us they're going to wake our kids up instead of thinking about these are people who are training to protect me and my country and my life and the blessings that come from that. Life-saving. Life-saving training. Life-saving things happens all around us all the time. And I'm going to guess that you're like me, that you and I don't appreciate how incredible a thing that is. I think that's why I get how some people can see Jesus. It feels kind of the same. There are churches all around us, especially here, right? Almost every corner you're going to find one. You've got more worship videos that are going online and on the internet than you are ever going to be able to watch, even if you did it all day long, right? So in America, there's about 300,000 churches Imagine about a third of those, 100,000 puts a worship video up. That's 100,000 worship videos every week going online. Way more than you and I can handle. I, I think most people know Christians, too. Christians live in our world. Christians are part of our lives. And I think they know what a life of a Christian looks like. They see the mess. They see that Christians are just like everybody else, too. So there is a lot of Jesus. And Jesus' focus that happens in our world every single week. And life keeps on moving and happening, whether you're connected to him or not. When you read the details about Jesus' life, that feels kind of like what it would have been like with him when he was on earth, too. When he came to a town and he did miracles and healed people, people chased after him. Crowds went to him, begged him to heal and asked. They wanted the better life. They needed help, and he could physically make them better. And even after all the miracles, even after all the places he went to, only this small, tiny group stays committed to him. 
only a few people are there supporting him. Everybody else just moves on. Jesus does not look like a conquering king coming into our world. Instead, at best, people saw him as the guy that was going to help out their life just for a little bit. So when we get to this part of God's word, this part of Jesus' life, this feels different, right? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, the, the cities just outside Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. We got to understand at his time, riding a horse or a young donkey that had not been ridden before was a king thing, a royal thing, a ruler kind of thing going on. And even just in Jesus' instructions to these two disciples, you can hear the authority behind his words because he knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. And he tells them, go and do this. So the two disciples with Jesus, they absolutely obey. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. Strangers, they let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Jesus' plan for this different thing in his life came together. His words had authority and power, and they worked. And now Jesus was sitting up above everybody else and on his way into the capital city, Jerusalem. So would today be different? Would the people understand and see him for who he really is? Would they understand? I think we need to understand where the rest of people at that time were coming from, too. And the part of Isaiah that we read through today kind of helps us understand that those people were repeating the history of God's Old Testament people again and again and again. Before Jesus came, people were just waiting for the Savior. They wanted a king to come down to be with them, to rescue them. By the, tam by the time Isaiah writes, his words and his little section calling out for a savior to come, it had been generations of people, centuries of people, thousands of years of people waiting for the savior. And they waited and they waited and they waited thousands of years calling out to God, come down and help us. So it's 700 years after Isaiah is part of that group of people. 700 years more of waiting, of disasters, of issues and problems and pains. 700 years later then, a king is going to make his way into their lives. But think through what it was like being those people after generations of disappointment and distractions and just life continuing on, 
How do you think people would react to that? I think you and I also know that it doesn't take generations or centuries or even long chunks of time for this to happen. I think we get that it happens a lot faster than that. Because to have the right perspective and understanding and excitement about Jesus, that's a day-to-day -day challenge for us, right? I think especially it's a yearly struggle as we start getting ready for Christmas. Because doesn't it feel like time just starts to speed up and move faster as our life fills up with focusing on presents and getting the perfect present for the perfect person and showing that we love them. And then we spend hours decorating stuff like we did last week here at church. You can see stuff here. You can see stuff out there. We get high on ladders and we put ourselves in dangerous situations to put lights on our houses. We have people that even have music going on radio stations and lights that flash all day long because it's a big deal. And we spend so much time and focus on it. Isn't it easy to get back into these Christmas traditions that you have, whether it's from baking cookies to going and chopping down a tree to visiting Santa and celebrating? And these aren't bad things. But they're not why Christmas exists. And the days leading up to Christmas, our lives start to get full of that. We take Christmas and God's real gift to us at Christmas and we get complacent with it. We assume that there's, of course, going to be another day leading ahead, another year to celebrate the same things. No big deal. Christmas is coming. We kind of get it. Yeah, I think we've got issues. Like, those people had issues. So thank God that the day that we read about, this day of Jesus, is different. What us Christians call Palm Sunday is not like the rest of Jesus' life. Jesus shows himself for who he is in a way that is impossible for anybody to miss. He's a king, and he is riding into town to save. On his way into Jerusalem to die on the cross, that's when many people recognize and they spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of Jesus in this big party line and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus rode into town on that day, People dropped everything, and they actually honored him like a king. They rolled out the ancient red carpet of their time with palm leaves and clothes for his path. They came out and shouted praises and honored him as he passed by. They ran out in front and crowded behind him, and they shouted the most interesting word that you and I are going to get today. And you'll hear it in a lot of our Christmas hymns, too. It's this word, Hosanna. It's one of these words that doesn't really get translated over into English. Instead, the sounds from the Hebrew language, that's just the way that it comes out in English. So it's Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? Save us. Please save us. Please rescue us. Please help us. 
it's kind of the ancient Hebrew way that they had of dialing 911 and calling out for the Savior, save. And what are the people shouting as Jesus rides into town? Hosanna, 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 save us. Because with Jesus, their king, riding in for them, they are not distracted. They are fully focused on him and absolutely what he came to do to save. I think a slow, simple, focused few weeks on Jesus are going to be better for us to get ready for Christmas. And here's the good news. He's going to do that for you in these weeks. Christmas draws us in to find out why God sent Jesus down to earth. And in Christmas, it's obvious it's not just the bodily life-saving stuff that does lose our attention day to day. He didn't come for this earthly, worldly power kingdom. No, Jesus came for his work that happens in here. Do you want to know the coolest thing I think about the word Hosanna? At its root is the same word, Jesus. In the Hebrew, the word that comes and draws both of these things out is this verb, to save. And later, after Jesus gets born, they name him Jesus, because Jesus literally means he will save. So the people are calling out, please save us, and Jesus' name means he will save. Do you hear what's so awesome about that? It's not this hope or maybe, or sort of kind of thing. When people call out Hosanna, it's a word of full confidence. He will save. Because that's who Jesus is. Whenever you see this word pop up, or whenever you sing this word, that's what you're saying. God save us, and you know he will. Because Jesus does what he says. If you call out to him, Jesus will help you. Because he is the king who can help. When we call out to Jesus and we ask for him to come and forgive our sins, he did. He does as we gather together. He heads straight into Jerusalem in danger and death for us. He takes all of our faults and failures and imperfections, and as he dies on the cross, those things die up there too. He's the king who comes and who's won the battle already. Whenever I start thinking about a rescuer, a savior, I start thinking about Bob. Or at least that's what I remember his name to be. Bob, if you're listening to this somehow, someway, I'm sorry. I think that's your name. But you see, Bob worked out at our local YMCA where my family and I would work out as I was in high school in summertime, kind of getting ready for sports. And everybody there knew Bob because Bob was six foot four. Bob was the kind of guy that would go and he would sit at the bench and he would put on plate after plate after plate after plate until literally as he's lifting, the bars are bending as he's lifting these things. Bob was by far the strongest man at our gym, the best lifter. You could not miss Bob. Bob was also this really nice guy. He'd have genuine conversations in between lifting these crazy amounts of weight with you so that it 
didn't take long, once you got to know Bob, you would find out that Bob was a firefighter. The reason why Bob would go in the gym and put all those weights on was because he wanted to be prepared to do the job that he knew he was going to have to do. He wanted to be ready to rescue people. So kind of the running joke between all of us at the gym and Bob was, hey, Bob, if our house ever burns down, I want you breaking through the wall. I want to see your face coming to carry me out and rescue me. Because, Bob, if you're coming, I know with you here, we're going to be good. On Palm Sunday, this is kind of what Jesus does for you and me. He openly reveals he is the king who can help, who does help. With him around, we're good. So this year, let's try to reframe our Christmas, not just as God's gift of Jesus in a small baby. Christmas is the beginning of God's rescue mission to save. Christmas is God putting his plan to destroy sin into action. Christmas is all about this king who has come and who's going to win the battle for you. The trip to the cross starts at Christmas, but it leads to Palm Sunday. It leads to Jerusalem. And as you go through this and you read about Jesus and what Jesus came to do and what Jesus has done for you, I can tell you God is not going to blast sirens that are going to make you a little bit annoyed at noise. He's not going to shake your house with power. He's not going to surprise you with a heart that's flatlined and it's going to suddenly restart as you start reading. No, instead, he's simply going to leave you amazed at your king who died to save you, who brought you forgiveness, at a rescue mission that's already complete. Amen.